The evolution of the Mavic 3, I mean, honestly, from like a software standpoint and even a hardware standpoint, is something that they could make a movie about almost, I feel, because it went from being a drone that everybody was so pumped up about. And it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a letdown because it was a great drone, captured phenomenal photos and videos, but there were issues with it that you just wouldn't expect from DJI's highest end offering. Hey, welcome back to The Hype Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. However you consume the episode, I'm just so happy you're here. You're going to enjoy this this week's episode. I welcome Billy Kyle back on the show. Billy is an experienced drone pilot, drone operator. He has a fantastic YouTube channel that talks all about drones, of course, reviewing the latest drones, and even giving tutorials on how to do certain things with drones, like hyperlapses. He does a great job with those. So enjoy this interview. And I have to thank Billy for coming back on the show uh, multiple times, even though there's actually only been one previous episode with Billy, we had to record this episode multiple times because, yes, even after doing this podcast for multiple years, three years now, um, I still have technical issues because, yes, I did try a different application to record Billy's episode initially. Someone hit me up for a sponsorship. They have a fantastic or what seemed like would be a fantastic product and would s solve the biggest issue I have with this format of show, having a remote guest. My biggest obstacle is internet connectivity because we're we're connecting through the internet and either I have bad you know internet sometimes or my guests do and they're using Wi-Fi, maybe they're not plugged in. This application in theory was supposed to solve that and it was going to be fantastic, but it was a complete disaster. And we're gonna get into that in a solo episode, talk about that, talk about camera dilemma I had, and yeah, I won't get too much into it, but I have to thank Ecamm for making such a great product. I came back to record this episode with Ecamm because Ecamm just never fails me. I actually, you know, they don't pay me to say anything about their application. I pay full price for the application. I just love it that much that I fully believe that if you're doing a podcast, if you're going to be live streaming, whatever you're going to do, take a look at Ecamm because it just serves so many different purposes and the quality that you get is so fantastic. After trying to try something else to see, you know, if the grass was greener or if it solved it, you know, the problem with internet connectivity, I had to come back because, uh, yeah, just Ecamm just doesn't fail me. So anyway, there's my little plug for Ecamm. If you want to try it out, link in the description of this video on YouTube or if you're listening to the audio version down in the description of the podcast. So anyway, without further ado, enjoy this episode with Billy Kyle. All right, I'm sitting here with Billy Kyle. Billy, you've been on the show before. I appreciate you coming back. And of course, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, we've uh, for everyone listening and watching, this is like our third time technically trying to record <laughs> this episode, and it's all my fault 100% all my fault. We'll get into that in a future podcast episode, but um, yeah, things just didn't work right. So, Billy, thank you for your time sitting down again um, on technically a, a holiday. So, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, look, it's the uh, it's the first time I'm sitting down and actually shooting something for 2023, which is cool, right? We, we get to share this experience together. The first video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First video recording. Um, yeah, and it's a holiday. So, guys, you know, uh, I'm I'm drinking a beer on this on this episode. <laughs> what am I talking to Ken Dono here? <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't drone brews, but it's it's high brews. Like you said, like we're going to have a good time. <laughs> awesome. Well, Billy, for for those that don't know you. You were on the show like March of last year. 
Um, you're yeah. you're an expert when it comes to drones. Your whole YouTube channel revolves around drones. But for anybody that's that's new to the show because the show's been going on for years now and hasn't gone back and listened to the the backlog of episodes, give give us a quick yeah. rundown of, of what you you do. Yeah, so I fly drones, right? I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Uh, you know, I got started back in 2016 with the Phantom 4. That was my first drone. Uh, I ended up buying that drone and then I looked online and I was like, man, there's no tutorial videos on how to actually use this drone. So uh, I said, why don't I start my own? Why don't I create my own? So I learned how to use the drone. I'd, I'd make videos kind of sharing my feedback, going over how to do certain things with the drone because as much as many try to make it as easy as possible, there is still a lot to learn, right? I mean, about the transmission system and the different settings and, uh, you know, how to how to get the best, say, gimbal pitch speed from your drone, right? So I was kind of making these videos teaching people how to get the most of their drone, being the Phantom 4 at the time, uh, and I kind of seemed to catch the wave before drones just hit the mainstream, right? I mean, the Phantom was still kind of large. It was like the first drone that was really an all-in-one kit where you could buy it and get some really good aerial photos and videos. But then after that, the Mavic Pro came out and it was just, you know, gangbusters after that. So that, that's kind of how I got my start. That's awesome. Uh, I really do look at your channel as a channel that's an authority when it comes to the drone industry, especially with all the advances we've had in drones. Man, I thought we had a lot of advances going into 2021 or 2022. Um, yep. But like from November of 2021 and then all this past year of 2022 has just been insane. Like, I don't know how much more we could ask for out of these companies. Like we're going to talk about it at the I end know. of this episode about like what predictions you have for 2023, but I don't know what, what more you could predict or, or ask for. So November of 2021, we had the release of the Mavic 3. Um, mm -hmm. Is that what they call it? Mavic 3? We had the Mavic 3 Cine and then, yeah, then just, just the regular Mavic 3. standard Mavic 3, which is the one I got. Um, mm -hmm. Super excited when I was watching that video. Like I had another like obligation going on when they were doing that release. And so I was like, I'm, I have it like down below, like on my phone, yes. my ear pod in, like listening and watching and paying attention to the thing I'm supposed to be paying attention to. And um, I was so hyped on that drone. And luckily, you know, through Ken, like I was able to get it pre-ordered super quick and had it within like probably one of the first people to get it, you know, commercial, you know, as a consumer rather than like actually having my own yeah. drone shop, you know? Um mm -hmm. And I was so disappointed <laughs> in, in that drone so, to start yes. with. But it, it is an amazing it's so drone funny. Now. Yeah. Yeah, because we we kind of talked about this when we were recording this first off. But also it's something that I think about every single day, right? Um, and it's something that I'm actually also working on right now in terms of a video because the evolution of the Mavic 3 – I mean, honestly, from like a software standpoint and even a hardware standpoint is something that they can make a movie about almost, I feel, because it went from being a drone that everybody was so pumped up about. And it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a letdown because it was a great drone, captured phenomenal photos and videos, but there were issues with it that you just wouldn't expect from DJI's highest end offering, right? Like the GPS issue. I'm, that was like the biggest issue, right? And honestly, it was, there's a lot of things that people will complain about, like, uh, the Avada right now, they're complaining that it's tumbling or whatever. It when, just honestly, falls out of the see, sky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people people like to make a big deal about stuff like that, but then it's like you also have to look at how you're flying the drone, and if you're flying it in a way that it's going to like potentially fall out of the sky when you're in manual, then you know, you're know you kind of getting what you ask for. But when you look at the Mavic 3, that GPS issue was a widespread issue. Anybody that owned the Mavic 3 was waiting 10, 
10 minutes up to for GPS to connect depending on your, on your location. A lot, like a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of time. And it doesn't affect me as a real estate photographer other than it keeps me on site a little bit longer. Right. But for, yes. for people that needed to get up and get a shot sunset or whatever you're, you were doing, mm -hmm. that GPS was a huge, huge issue. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about something, um, just now, Ken and I were up in Massachusetts and there was kind of like this canal with this big ship passing through. And I remember like, as we're driving, we see the ship and we like throw the car over on the side of the road. We go and we're trying to get out so that we can, we can get the drones up and actually get a video of this thing. And we couldn't like, I actually was, my drone connected fast, but Ken's didn't just because of that scenario, because of the GPS issue. Like it was, it was a big issue and luckily they rectified it. Right. And I still think that some of the earlier drones have a little bit of that issue, but they've rectified it with software. They've rectified it with hardware. So now that's kind of, uh, you know, been, been made good. Now look at everything that's been added though. I mean, now we're getting to the point where I feel like we're getting stuff introduced with this drone that I didn't even expect like night video. Like I didn't expect them to introduce something like that into this drone because now we can take our ISO from a maximum of 6,400 to uh, 12,800, which is huge. Yeah, I, I, that's a great feature. I have a, a different viewpoint, like, cool, that's like icing on the cake, but I feel like where it's at now is where it should have been a year ago when it was released. Like all these issues, yes. the GPS, I mean, waypoints. How could you, not, how did it take a year to get waypoints when this is your flagship drone and dude, wait, yeah, go waypoints haven't been in drones from DJI since the Mavic two pro. I mean, and, that was and like that's the what I was used to, right? Cause it. I was using the Mavic two pro up until the Mavic three. So I was just used to yeah. always having waypoints. The biggest issue that DJI is kind of facing with this whole transition is they jumped from the go app to the fly app, right? So they made kind of like that jump, uh, you know, different architecture, different UI, different design. And that fly app was very bare bones in the beginning, but now as DJI is adding their, higher power drones to it. They're, they're better drones like say Mavic 3 or Air 2S. They're realizing, hey, we've got to add these features in that come from the Go app, right? Like being able to change the gain and expo settings, being able to change, um, uh, you know, add waypoints, stuff like that. So they've got to bring all those features over from the Go app to the Fly app. It definitely took them longer than expected. But again, you know, it's just cool to see how we've seen the drone evolve. And I wonder like, are they going to continue to do these updates? Like, is there anything else in store for this drone. I, I've got no idea because like, and I know we'll get to this towards the end, but like what else can they do in these drones to actually make them better, right? Like what more flight time, faster top speed, you know I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It, it was a, an interesting release. Um, I get the switching to the applications like because the, what are we on now? We're not on the go for, or we are on the fly go. app. Fly app. That's, I get them confused, yeah. but we're on the fly app mm -hmm. and it was like a basic, that fly app was what you used on like, the beginner drones from the mini, the mini and all these smaller ones. So I could understand that all those features weren't built in at the time. Um, and now that changes, like depending on the drone that you connect it, it works the way it should work and features exactly. are unlocked based on the drone you're using. I just think like, instead of making us wait a year, all that should have been totally. lined up and, and, and done. It was a little bit of a money grab, like, because it was released right before the holidays. They want to get those holiday sales. Yes. I get it from a business standpoint, but as a I consumer, it's like, <laughs> I think like another thing that they're kind of doing is like they're making it almost like a they're dragging out the release so that you want to continue to fly it. You know, like it continues to feel like a new drone, which I can appreciate. But um, you know, when you look at like it 
from a standpoint of like Skydio, they're kind of doing the same thing where they're coming out with these big updates. It almost seems like quarterly, which I enjoy because we get these new features to try. But a lot of them are features that you would not expect to have. You know, like there's these little like cool things that that the drone can do, like hand launching and stuff like that that they add. Um, whereas DJI seemed to be adding these core features, like you said, that should have been there in the beginning. For me, what I think was the biggest update, if you will, to the Mavic 3 uh, is the classic version of it, right? I mean, they pretty much knocked off $500 off of that drone. And now when you look at DJI's lineup, it's difficult to recommend the Air 2S because the Mavic 3 Classic is so cheap and is so much better. It's the best than bang for drone. your buck if you want like a professional yeah. drone. It's great. I mean, you look at the difference in price between Air 2S and Mavic 3, you're spending more than double the price. And at that point, it starts to get a little bit difficult. But if you're only spending an extra four or five hundred dollars, then it's like, hmm, do I make that upgrade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a great drone. And I get it from a, a business standpoint too, because when you when you start to really think about how they've trickled out these releases, upgrading the drone. It's extended the life expectancy of the three mm -hmm. without having to come out with a Mavic four. Cause let's say yeah. all these features were out when the drone came out and then a year goes by and everybody's like, okay, so what's next? When's, when's the Mavic four coming out? Yes. No one's talking about that because it's like, we're still getting updates, making this drone. Absolutely. Amazing. Totally. So, um, yeah. we talked a lot about the Mavic three and that actually came out in 2021, but we saw all these updates this last year. But you know what? Mavic 3 Classic is 2022. So let, we'll, we'll, we'll include benefit it. of the doubt. <laughs> but with all that being said, um, you've traveled the country this year. You've uh, tested out a ton of amazing drones, not just from DJI, but from other manufacturers. What's really mm -hmm. impressed you with the advances in the drone industry um, from a consumer level and uh, a prosumer and you know professional level? Yeah, I mean, I think something that's huge is seeing how like good drones are getting small and inexpensive, right? I mean, you look at what they've been able to do with the Mini 3 Pro, keeping it under 250 grams. Like Mini 3 Pro is almost on like Phantom 4 level. Like if you look at specs pound for pound, side by side, uh, the Mini 3 Pro actually is better than the Phantom 4 in a lot of different ways. So it's cool to see how they've taken that technology and they've shrunk it down into a smaller form factor, makes it more accessible, makes it less expensive, uh, makes it easier to travel with. Personally, I also enjoy going to places and not carrying this big drone and making a scene, right? It's like as soon as you pop the Mini 3 in the air, nobody knows it's there because it's so quiet. That's one of the reasons why I really enjoy flying with that drone. Um, so seeing that is really cool. And I think that from there, seeing how the better drones have kind of uh, proven their worth has been really cool too, right? Because like now that we have all this great technology and a small drone like the Mini 3, they've got to do something pretty wild on the other end of the spectrum to really get you to want to fly that drone. I mean, for example, my Inspire 2, there is no reason for me to fly that drone right now, even though it's the most expensive and the largest drone that I own because my Mavic 3 can handle everything that that drone can do. It can do more than it. It has better specs. It has a better transmission system. So, you know, it's kind of been cool to see what they've done with like the Mavic 3. I know that we just spent all this time talking about it, but like that video that I posted where I kind of was showing footage from around the country, some of it was captured with the Mini 3 Pro and a little bit with the Air 2S, but most of it was with the Mavic 3 because that camera, it's just so like mind-blowingly good. I mean, the colors and the, the, uh, the dynamic range, everything about it makes me want to continue to reach for that drone. So I would say the biggest, the biggest thing is, is really seeing how good the cameras have gotten uh, on the higher end, but then also just seeing how good these smaller drones have gotten because now it's almost like there's no excuse to not be able to take good aerial photos and videos because of how inexpensive these drones have, have become and how good they've become on that low end. Yeah. So funny that you mentioned the mini three, you just bought the mini three pro, right? When we first recorded, 
the first time we tried recording uh, that afternoon, I went I went and got it. Like I I got such a good deal. Apparently, someone got it for Christmas and did not want it because yeah. um, they let it go for super cheap. Like I got the Mini Three Pro um, with mm-hmm. the the RC right with with the built in screen. Um, yes. and a, a fly more pack with the, the better upgraded batteries mm-hmm. for like 900 bucks unopened. That's a good price. Had never been opened. Yeah. So super stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot cheaper than if you were to go buy it now. Totally. What did, have you flown it? What do you think of it? So, <laughs> so I haven't been able to fly it because it's been uh, raining almost every single day since we mm-hmm. last, last talk. So haven't yeah. got a chance yet, but I can't wait. We're supposed to be getting some like clear weather by, by Friday, which is yeah, it's just raining like crazy here in California. I mean, it's it's bonkers when you think about the flight time in that drone. I mean, you have your 107 and you obviously have registered with the FAA, so you don't really care about the weight limit, right? right. So you can use that extended battery and actually get the longer flight time. I mean, they advertise 47 minutes and it's pretty damn close. You're going to get about 42 minutes. And it's it's crazy to see like, you know, the the estimated flight time in the top right corner is always going to give you your estimated flight time based on your current flying style. So like if you're flying ripping in sport mode, it's going to show like, oh, you've only got 15 minutes remaining, right? But if you instead put the drone up high and then come and dive down, the drone is not using as much power and you'll actually see the drone estimating like flight times of 60 minutes, which awesome. is like so crazy to see. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I can't wait to try it. I got that drone for for two specific reasons. The first being how like quiet it is. So in certain mm-hmm. communities where it's maybe gated and a little like just higher end and people tend to make a bigger deal about like what are you doing and flying a drone. This drone's super quiet. They're probably not even going to hear it and notice it. Yeah. And then the second thing is ugh, vertical video. As much as I don't like it, <laughs> um, the fact that that camera can turn and you can do vertical video um, and with my business – offering like specific packages for reels for my realtors now yep, um, mm-hmm. and being able just to throw that up and like see the frame the way it's going to be on the edit and not figure out the crop. Um, I'm looking forward to trying it. Super excited. Yeah, the vertical video is huge. I think that they'll eventually just implement that into all their drones, right? I mean, I know that a lot of people will be upset because they don't like vertical video, which I can understand, right? But at the end of the day, like, why not have the option? And I also think that being able to capture portrait photos is nice too, right? I mean, we talk about vertical video a lot, but also, like, if you're, say, capturing a building, it's cool to be able to, you know, flip that into the portrait shooting mode and then be able to capture photos that way too and and get the full resolution. So it is cool in a lot of different ways. Um, I think that gimbal design is genius the way that they've, the way that they put that together. I mean, being able to get the full functionality and something that, you know, isn't really talked about all that much is how great it is that we can now almost look upwards a little bit. Like you get a positive 60 degree gimbal rotation upwards. You can do a lot of cool shots with that. Yeah, which is nice. And really just even for general flying, you know, when you look back at older drones, the way the gimbal was designed underneath, when you try to fly in sport mode, it would shoot the camera downwards to where your maximum gimbal pitch might only be negative 15. You can't actually even go level with horizon. So it's really cool to see those improvements made in the gimbal. And it's going to be nice to be able to use that hopefully moving forward on on all drones. I mean, I think that DJI is going to see how much of a success it was in the Mini 3 Pro and just, you know, implement that all the way up the ladder. So over the past year, I already mentioned you traveled to a bunch of different cities and you got to meet with different drone companies. And what we're starting to see are these docking systems, which look absolutely amazing. There is absolutely... No need for me to ever need a dock. Probably no need for even you to probably have a dock, right? These are for Mm -hmm. bigger companies. But kind of give me the rundown of what these docking systems are and what they're going to be allowing 
large companies, I'm thinking construction companies that have multiple job sites where mm-hmm. they don't need to hire you and me, right? They have someone yeah. on staff that manages, you know, their drones for, for project updates or, I mean, what else? I mean, search and rescue, I guess, like the, maybe the national park service could start using some of these, these totally. docking station, docking stations and have them in remote areas of the national parks where they needed to mm-hmm. do some sort of search and rescue or just research. Um, give me the rundown. Yeah. So, you know, when we kind of look at it from a really high level view, you know, we're now kind of getting into the commercial sector of drones, right? So like when we talk about drone usage, I think that a lot of the people here on this podcast are probably in it for like creative reasons, being able to use it for photography and videography. But, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, there are drones made with thermal cameras for inspections. Uh, Even a standard Mavic 3 or like a Mavic 2 could be used for just roof inspections, right? Like just pretty much putting the drone up in the sky, looking at what it looks like, capturing some photos, snapping them in most cases, not even editing them and just using them, right? I know that they'll make some people cringe. And I actually do still edit the photos I do when I do roof inspections, which is bizarre. But um, I edit the so ones when know, I do job site inspections. I still like, like, all right, let me up yeah, the shadows I, a little bit, you know, just so you can see yes. the details. <laughs> Lower the highlights, like, you know, kill the highlights. So it is funny to kind of like, you know, look at this other side of the spectrum and see how drones are being used for creative reasons, but also see how they're being used for, like you said, search and rescue, right? Like utility reasons. Um, and that's kind of like why all these companies have a different arm. So like Skydio has their enterprise line and DJI has their enterprise line. And I think upcoming at CES, we're going to see some new enterprise drones from Autel as well. So when you kind of look into that spectrum, something that's really huge is autonomy, right? Like These drones are being sold to uh, police departments and fire departments and construction companies, people that don't fly drones each and every single day. So they're trying to make them as easy as possible to operate with sensors and software and stuff like that. But really what they want to make the end goal, uh, the end goal for them is autonomy, like have the drone do everything for you and not have to actually intervene, right? So I think the gold standard right now is Skydio's docking system. So DJI has a dock, there's a lot of third-party docks, but just for the sake of time, we'll just kind of look at Skydio's docking system. So they already make a highly advanced, fully autonomous drone. So now it's about how do we deploy that? How do we actually get this in the field? How do we make sure it stays safe, stays charged, and is also connected to the internet? So they've got this docking system that really basically is just a means of storing the drone, spitting the drone out, letting it fly around, and then storing it for when, you know, it's not being used, charging it up, and whatnot. But think about how much goes into that, right? Like, it's not just a box with a drone. You need to make sure that the drone is deployed on schedule. You need to make sure that the drone is able to take off and land safely. You need to make sure that's protected from the elements. You need to make sure that it doesn't overheat. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much that goes into it. So, Being able to visit kind of like these companies' demos of these docks has been really cool to figure out what goes into how they work, uh, what goes into kind of how they've developed it, kind of learning about what their goals were in terms of like, hey, we have this docking system and we want to make sure that, uh, you know, you can deploy it in Alaska. So you can put it outside and it's super cold and it stays protected from the elements. So um, it's been really cool to see that. And the end goal for this is, like you mentioned, say a construction site, you've got one of these docks on site. And let's say every day it spits the drone out. The drone takes progress photos around the job site, lands and uploads those photos so that everybody in the company can see them from the project manager on site to the CEO that lives in a different state to the to the client that might live in a different country, right? So basically it's just a way of logging information and data and it's kind of about making it as easy as possible, right? So some of the jobs that I get called on, I I show up and I just take drone photos of what's going on. I send the photos out 
do a little bit of editing to them, but it's not like they're used for marketing purposes, right? So in this sense, this doc is going to be great just to kind of give everybody an eye in the sky. Um, and what's actually really cool about it too, and I got to test this out, is like with the Skydio doc, you could have it set up inside of a warehouse and then I could just say, oh, hey, uh, did the material get delivered? Like did did the uh, steel beams get delivered? I could go into my computer, log on to my Skydio cloud, take manual control of the drone, fly it from my keyboard and mouse, move around the job site like a video game and be like, oh, hey, there are the steel beams. And when I'm done, literally just shut my laptop and the drone goes back to the dock all by itself. And that's what I was like, just thinking, like how amazing that is for these companies that just want to have a little more control over the update rather than waiting for like you or I to like schedule time to go to the job site. Now it's just like open up the computer and let me check real quick. Super simple. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this kind of gets into the realm of like, Hey, is our job going to be gone in the next two, three years because of autonomy? Um, and I think that that is definitely a fear in certain scenarios, but there's also going to be a need for like that high level marketing material, right? Like right. you're not going to be able to use this drone docking system to get like these beautiful images of workers on site. And, you know, after that, they're going to have to edit the photos. Editing is, of course, a skill that you need. So I still think that there's going to be obviously a lot of room for manual pilots to have their own um you know, work, have their own jobs, be able to continue to make a living off of, you know, what we're doing now. But I think that just for those everyday use cases, having a drone on site in a dock is going to be great. And I think that with that, it's going to kind of propel the drone industry forward to even open up more jobs from there, right? I mean, these companies might not even know how to set these docks up. Like they might get a shipment of 10 Skydio docks for 10 of their sites and they go, all right, now what? You know, so it, it opens up the door to potentially even be like a consultant, at least for me, it's kind of what I'm thinking. So, and they're expensive right now, right? So, I mean, companies yeah. might not want to invest in these and the companies that have the budget to invest in, in them, I mean, might already have a, like their own drone person on staff. So it's not something I'm currently worried about, but I think the potential they have for construction companies, but even going further with search and rescue. And I, I just think it would be awesome for the national park service. I know you can't fly drones in the national park, but like, I'm sure they would waive the national park service actually operating yeah, their own, right. their own drones. I had the opportunity to talk to, um, someone that works for the fire department at one of our local cities. And, uh, we met at a construction site because he was friends with the homeowner that was getting some stuff craned in and they wanted some drone footage. So I was there flying mm -hmm. my drone but he also came and flew his drone, which he flies on staff for the fire department. And part of his job is he helps oversee um, the, the lifeguard staff at the beach. Oh, and okay. they're yeah, already yeah. starting to implement drones into their safety program to yeah. you know, the ones with the speakers where they can you know, fly out and give warnings and, and talk to people out, out in the water. I would love to see them implement these docks now because now they could just have a dock sitting at the end of the pier and anyone can, you know, can just fly up and they can fly anywhere they need to down the beach, which is awesome. But we also need regulation to catch up with all this stuff. Yeah. Right? Well, so uh, there's a company called Paladin that's actually kind of, in my opinion, at the forefront of search. I, I wouldn't say search and rescue, but more like law enforcement docking solutions. So basically, um, I was down in Houston visiting with them and they have not only their own drone that they've created, but they also make a module that attaches to DJI's enterprise drones that make them LTE compatible. So think about it. You can control these drones from anywhere in the country or the world for that matter, right? So what's really cool about this system is that it integrates with, say, um, a 911 call center. And let's say a 911 
Beaumont call center is, uh, you know, picks up uh, the phone regarding, let's say, an active shooting situation, right? Well, what they're able to do is not only dispatch, say, ambulances, EMT, fire, and maybe even the police, they can also dispatch the drone. So the drone, without needing any sort of communication or any sort of interaction, immediately takes off out of a dock, goes up, flies directly to that address, and will just circle around the area. That's awesome. And then now units in the area that are en route have a signal directly or, or a feed directly from that drone looking at what's going on. So you could be across town and the drone, of course, is going to be able to get there faster than you because it's a straight line and it's probably cruised at, say, 50 miles an hour. So a lot of the people showing up to these certain scenarios can actually get a look at you know what's going on before they arrive. So there's a lot of really cool things happening in that space. But like you mentioned, the regulation does need to catch up. Um, you know, Paladin and Skydio as well, they're kind of working with the FAA to actually help their customers obtain waivers to fly beyond a visual line of sight. So you, it is possible. You can do it, but it obviously is a big headache. <laughs> Anything with the FAA is a big headache. Oh, a huge, huge. Even just like applying uh, for like authorizations. Oh, go ahead. What, what were you going to say? I was going to say like remote ID. Yeah, remote <laughs> ID, which we're going to talk about. But I was thinking just even to apply for like, I have a, a job I'm waiting on and I'm, I applied far in it. Well, not that far in advance. The client should have let me know way earlier, but I had to f- register with the FAA, put in an application because this butts up mm-hmm. to like a military base. So I need, it's like zero flight. You, you can't get pre-authorization. You need to like file an application. It gets approved, right? It's supposed to do it tomorrow. It'll be pouring down rain here tomorrow. Can't fly, right? So the client needs it done by Friday. And it's like, uh, I don't think it's going to happen, man. Like I'll put in like to renew the request, but and no one going to see it until tomorrow. And that's only a few yep. days away from Friday. So um, mm-hmm. good luck. That, it's probably not going to happen. I don't want to tell you. You should have let me know way earlier. It, <laughs> it is such a pain dealing with them in a lot of different regards. And I think that they're so, we'll talk about remote ID. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Um, what, I, what I do want to talk about real quick before we get into remote ID is you've partnered with all these brands, a lot of different drone brands to be able to test out these drones before they're released, to, to have a, a thorough, like thorough review of everything that they can do. How do you keep a good relationship with these brands? Because I got to imagine um, certain, certain brands are starting to come to mind, but like you test out their drones <laughs> and you're like, um, there's a lot of issues here, right? How do you keep a positive relationship with these brands where you're reviewing a drone that maybe has a lot of issues? Do you just not do the review or do you do it and be honest? And how do they take that feedback? Do they actually like implement some of the feedback and appreciate it? Or they go like, no, you're wrong. I know some brands do that. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing I mean, wrong so, with this. I, so, you know, for me, I never thought that having to manage these brand partnerships would be something that would be so difficult. Um, but honestly, it's gotten a little bit easier over time, kind of as I've just become more comfortable and as I've dealt with it more and more, right? Uh, it's actually hard to get a bad drone now. I mean, the drones have been so good recently that, you know, even if it's not a very good drone, it still has its place. I mean, you look at like the Altel Nano, for example, not a very good drone, but like, if you buy it, you're still going to have a good time, right? I mean, the fact that the Mini 3 exists kind of makes the Altel Nano irrelevant in my opinion. But again, like it's still a good drone, still takes good photos and videos. Um, So that is an example where when I got the drone, initially I did my first flight, everything was great. I was looking at it. I was like, you know, this is, this is finally Altel's first drone that I can recommend. I get to my computer, throw the SD card in, 
the footage is like so shaky. Like the gimbal was all messed up from the jello, right? So I messaged them. I was like, look, here's the issue that I'm having. And they're like, all right, let's replace it. So they replace it and it's fixed. I make my first flight video. Everything's good, right? So in that regard, for me, it's like if I experience an issue right off the gate, I go to them first. I'm like, look, here's here's what's happening. Do you know about it? Is there a fix? What what's the next steps? And that's kind of how I'll, how I'll go about it, right? Um, so that was an example with the um, with the Altel Nano, the Mini Three Pro. When I first got it, my first gimbal just didn't work. From the from boot up, once I started flying, it was just droopy. Message them, they replaced it, worked fine. So those are kind of two examples where, you know, hey, everything is totally fine, super easy, quick fix. Um, look at a different drone company that many people might not be aware of, X Dynamics. <laughs> That's the one that Evolve was coming too. to mind. <laughs> yeah. They, they sent me the Evolve 2 and I had nothing but issues off the gate, told them about it, they issued a firmware update, didn't work. I sent it back to them, they sent me a new one, still really just wasn't my cup of tea. So at that point in time, right, it's like, there's obviously a lot of issues with this drone. Uh, and here I am kind of talking about those issues, but it's like, do I make this whole review video about how this drone is not too good, how you don't want to buy the drone, here's all of its flaws, or do I just want to like pack it up and send it back? You know what I mean? And so for me, that's the best way to go about it. It's not even to make that review or that video slamming them because there's really no point. It's like, if somebody asks me, should I buy the Evolve? I'll say no because I've had experience with it, but I'm not going to go and make a video openly bashing them about it, you know, because it's just like there's there's no there's nothing good that comes out of that. And that's why most of my review videos are positive because like, you know, what what am I going to say bad about the Mini 3 Pro? It's it's so hard to say something bad about such a good drone. Same thing with, you know, say the Mavic 3, but um or or even like the Skydio 2. Um funny story though. Did I, I don't did I tell when we did the, uh, the last one, did I tell you about the Power Egg? No, no, let me hear it. <laughs> so the Power Egg comes out, uh, made by Power Vision. It's basically a drone that looks like an egg. Yes, it looks like an actual egg. And um, it is also waterproof. You can put a little jacket around it huh. and make it waterproof. And I was like, this is pretty cool. It even had a little like floaty, um, floaty uh, landing uh, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. They're like these little things that you attach to the bottom that you can land on water. You can take this drone, land it on water. You can take off on water. Super cool. So I get it in the mail, in the in the box, and it's dented. And I'm like, all right, well, look, hey, I can make the review video, but it's just dented, right? Like it's not going to look right in the video. They go, oh, let, we'll replace it. They send it to me again. This one is dented in the same spot. And I'm like, look, at this point, I'll just make the video. They go, no, 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 we want to make it right. They send me another one. This one is dented in the same spot. I didn't even tell them about it. I'm like, look, I'm not even going to tell them about this dent. I'm just going to make the video. None of my batteries worked. <laughs> All three of the batteries were completely bricked. And I'm like, well, now I got to tell them. So I tell them I finally get a working drone, fourth drone, still dented. Oh, man. So I go and I'm actually flying it and whatever. I hit record. I hit record. I get back home. No footage on the SD card. After doing a full entire first flight video. And then I go out and I try it again and it didn't save to the SD card. So all these issues. And from there, I made my first flight video, my first impressions. Hey, it's a cool drone. It can land on water, this, that, whatever. But I never made another video on it because it was just a waste of time. So it is tough, but, um, you know, really I try to surround myself and partner with brands that, you know, make good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess your audience knows that if you're not talking about it, it's probably not worth their time because yeah, the, the only would, thing I, I think about so. is the, the X dynamics, like, yeah, you don't want to bash them, but also they're, they've, they put a lot of advertising into their drone and they they pushed mm -hmm. it a lot and you kind of want to steer people away from it like don't don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I feel I feel slightly bad for them because at this point like I feel like you just need to start 
from scratch on the drawing board. Because when you look at the X Dynamics drone, it looks so obsolete and outdated. It's beautiful, but, but it's it, also but it's beautiful. It's huge and like just mm-hmm. nothing like anything else that's out there. It, you know, it's more like a Phantom Four than what yes. we have nowadays. Well, here's the thing too: is like they come out with a drone that has a micro four third sensor, but then the Mavic Three came out after that release, like and a couple like of months, so and much smaller. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so funny because people have even openly asked them, like, asked them and asked some of their ambassadors. It's like, hey, how do you answer to the Mavic 3 now that it's like the smallest micro four thirds drone? And they're like, well, we're not really competing with the Mavic 3. It's like, okay. <laughs> then what do you think you're, exp- you're competing with? The Inspire? Because you can change I, yeah, lenses, right? you know, but I have, I have no idea. I haven't, I haven't got no idea what they're thinking quite honestly. Um, you know, there's people that say that they use the camera because it has a certain look, but it's just like, put that look aside. It is just an inferior drone in every way to the Mavic three. It's bigger. It's louder. It's doesn't fly as long. It is cumbersome to use. The software is not as good. The controller is massive. Like you, li- it's, it's kind of like a comparison between mini three and all tell nano. The Mavic three has a leg up on the X dynamics Evolve two in every single way including price if you go with the Mavic 3 Classic. I don't know. It's it's a tough it's a tough sell in my opinion. Um, I think they're trying to come in as a competitor to the Inspire 2, but they're trying to make it a little bit smaller. But of course, we know that an Inspire 3 is around the corner. We've right. seen a lot of leaks from DJI. Who knows when that's going to come out? Um, I was thinking that they were going to drop it at CES, but apparently they won't even be at CES. So we'll see. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad for them as a company because like you kind of – you're behind the ball. Like you gotta just scrap that and start over. I think, but that's look. My they've opinion. got and I've met them at CES. They've got a great staff. They've got a great team. But again, it's just like they're kind of chasing after the wrong thing. Right. You know, they're kind of they're kind of chasing after this old and dead body right. style. There's a reason the Phantom ahead. Four hasn't been updated in five or six years. It's yeah. because the folding drones are are dominant. Exactly. Let's uh, jump to remote ID. Um, Pass. This is an interesting pass. You don't even <laughs> want to talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, we'll just refer everyone to go watch our buddy 51 Drones newest video yeah. on remote ID. That was a 27-minute video. Super good. Yeah. And he answered a lot of questions. Remote ID is tough because, like, I understand that there's a need for there to be remote 100%. ID. 100%. But I think a way the way that they're going about it is, is wrong, right? I mean, I'm trying to kind of remember our conversation from last time. But like, you know, when it comes down to everybody being able to know where the pilot is, I, I, that's that's kind of tough, you know, and and you made a really good point. Yeah, let does, me make it. Let me make the, it. Go, 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 <laughs> okay, go, okay. go. Uh, the point I made the last time we recorded is um, if you're on an airplane and you're flying, do you have access to the pilot while they're flying? No, absolutely not, right? For safety reasons. With this remote ID system, Anybody can look up where the pilot's at. Why should that be any different? If they're going to consider drones no different than any other aircraft in the air, why should anybody be able to have access to us flying our drone? Safety for us and safety for the public. What if somebody wanted to come crash our drone into something? Like, they're small. They're not going to make as much damage as an airplane, but they're still going to cause damage. Um, So, yeah, that was my point that I made, like, if they can't have access to pilots in a plane, why should they have access to us that are flying an aircraft in the airspace? Yeah, look, there's no reason that the everyday person walking down the street should be able to see it. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think that they will. Nobody's going to be walking around hunting after drones. You know what I, I mean? Think there but will it just be, takes I, I think there will be a couple crazies that will. 
Yeah, look, there totally <laughs> will be a couple of crazies. We know that, look, from Twitter and Instagram, seeing the type of people that are out there, there's no doubt in my mind that people will do that. But I also think that a lot of people won't understand that that's even a thing. So you won't have to keep it at the forefront of your mind, but you always need to know in the back of your mind, like, hey, somebody crazy could come up at any point in time while I'm flying my drone, which would obviously not be good. Um, but, you know, I feel like that's something that should just be restricted for like law enforcement to be able to see, right? right? I mean, why does it need to be open to the general public? And I got to be honest, is that even still, <laughs> I can't even remember if that's still correct because I, I could have swore why, why I was cooking and watching Russ's video on 51 Drones that they were going to be able to see the location of the drone, not the pilot. Okay. But here's the thing is like, if it know. shows a trail, if it shows a trail of where the path was, they'll be able to see where the drone was taken off from and say, oh, the pilot's got to be near the beginning of the trail, right? So, I, you know, again, like, a lot of people don't even know necessarily how this is going to be implemented, how it's going to work. Of course, the date has passed. Now all manufacturers that come out with a drone need to have some sort of plan in place for remote ID. And uh, we won't have to, you know, cooperate until the end of this year. But that's the thing, right? And that's kind of the thing right now with current drone laws. My buddy messages me. He does real estate photography. He obviously had watched Russ's video about um, – remote ID. And he was like, well, what if I just don't comply? I'm like, well, you probably won't get in trouble <laughs> because there's nobody enforcing these laws. I mean, there's nobody outside that is going to go and find a drone that's flying over 400 feet and come down on you. I mean, really the only way that you're going to get in trouble is if you post that video. Right. And that was a question I, I had asked Russ. He didn't include it. How dare you, Russ? I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> was the fact that like, if you don't comply, so let's say you buy an older drone and, and this is all stuff people need to know. Um, that now if you buy a drone, if it's been made recently, it has to comply with being able to broadcast remote ID, even though it doesn't need to broadcast it yet. It needs to have the ability. But these older drones don't have that built in. So there's modules that you can buy and everything. So if you buy the, an older drone that isn't remote ID compliant, you buy it used, will you still even be able to take off once it comes time for us to actually broadcast Will manufacturers like DJI put something in their software for when you load up the app that says you're not broadcasting remote ID, you can't take off? I have no idea. I'm curious mm -hmm. if that's going to happen. I mean, we've seen them do it in the past where when they come out with a big firmware update, they just straight up don't let you fly until you update that firmware. So they could make it a mandatory firmware update and you wouldn't be able to take off, which would, of course, kind of, you know, not not be the best. But, um, you know, interesting enough, I think that some of these older drones might still be able to broadcast. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I'm even thinking back to the Spark, like the Spark oh, released wow. back in 2017. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I, I remember digging through the uh, DJI Go app at the time and seeing a remote ID section in there. So I don't know if it was just put into the application and if it was like saying, hey, here's our spot for remote ID when this whole entire thing actually comes to fruition or if it was like, hey, the Spark is remote ID capable and ready to go. So, I mean, I, I even think back then they probably wouldn't even know the parameters. So who knows if it actually is remote ID capable, but I've seen it in the app for a very long time. And I wonder what old drones actually have that capability. Like, where is that cutoff, you know? And for anyone listening that isn't familiar with ro remote ID, basically it's, it's a system in place or that's going to be in place that's going to allow authorities or, you know, anyone to know where drones are in the air at all time. Because right now, you could have a drone up in the air, no one's going to know. it. It's it's good and it's bad. I get the theory behind remote ID and it's all about safety, right? 100% behind that. Let's do things safe. But then when they write these laws and they don't get people 
people's feedback who actually operate drones like, hey, this isn't really realistic. This can't happen. That's kind of how it went down. And so the, we're seeing the, the mm-hmm. fallout of that and them scrambling to make things more doable, which is which is good, but there's still a long way to go. I did write down this question and I wanted your thoughts. How do you think this overall is going to affect um, commercial and recreational drone flyers and will it affect each of them differently? Yeah, so uh, one last thing I wanted yeah. to mention is that currently with DJI's aeroscope system, technically if somebody has one of those systems, like a, uh, for example here in Philly, they have one down at Lincoln Financial Field. So when you're flying around there, they know immediately that your drone is up in the air. So these aeroscope systems uh, are already in place and are already tracking drones in certain high-level, high-target areas. So just know that if you're around flying. Uh, you know, I was actually in Phoenix and had the police roll up on me because they picked up my drone flying and I was flying over their building when I didn't even know that it was there. So it's there. It's already out. Um, it's kind of crazy even how much information they can see because if your serial number pops up on uh, Aeroscope, they can see all of your flights no matter what. Even if you were in an area where you were not flying where there was Aeroscope, they can see that flight, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't um, like that, now, but I do like that they, in these high target areas, like I'm all for safety. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. that they can enforce this because, you know, during the Padre Dodger uh, playoff game. I was watching it live on TV and there was a mini three pro just hovering right above right field. It landed on, did <laughs> it land? It landed like on the turf or something. I didn't see it land, but it was as high as the back wall is like someone that could jump, could jump up and grab this thing, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of those flights around the stadiums and like people flying over the Bengals stadium, for example, and that stuff just needs to stop. And that's why this stuff is being implemented. Um, you know, if you're flying safely, like if you're flying how a normal human, human being should, you shouldn't be worried about this. Right. So this kind of gets in your question of like, how does this actually impact and affect, you know, the, the drone industry? I think that, um, commercial drone industry doesn't affect it at all. I think that it's going to make it better. It's going to make it safer. It's going to actually grow the commercial drone industry because now they can properly integrate into specific uh, areas. And I think that they are actually now going to give us more freedoms, right? Like, oh, hey, now that my drone broadcasts a signal, let me fly it out of line of sight. Let me now fly it further. Let me fly it over people. Let me do this or that, right? So hopefully they give us a little bit more leeway. I do have some concerns about the consumer side though, right? I mean, because they do something just as simple as, hey, if you're flying a drone, you need to register with the FAA. And there are people that are up in arms about that. So if they now need to have a drone that broadcasts a signal and go through all these extra hoops, it just might be too much for somebody, the the average person say, "Ah, I'm not going to buy a drone or I'm not going to fly a drone. So, uh, you know, it has me wondering. I think that there will be some people that are like, I don't care and will just continue to fly and they'll abide. Um, And of course, you're going to have those people that are rebels and just don't even, you know, equip their drone with remote ID. So, yeah, I think the the biggest thing hurting the drone industry overall from being professional, being consumer, and just overall being safe is there's a, I mean, there's companies trying to do it. Um, You've partnered with some of them, but there's just a lack of education and Mm -hmm. awareness of what regulations and laws are because these are things you can go down the street to Best Buy and buy. They're toys, but they're also not toys. So I think there's just just a huge gap in understanding and training not only for the pilots, but also on the on the on the prosumer and um, commercial side, the people hiring us don't know the laws, right? You know, like yeah. I talked about having to file with the FAA to get permission to go fly at this for this one job, 
And the architecture firm just doesn't know better, right? Doesn't know like, yes. hey, you should let me know as soon as you get this project and you even think you're going to want drone photos, let me know. So I can look up the airspace mm -hmm. and tell you, hey, just so you know, we're going to, if you want photos, we're going to need a file ahead of time. It can be as quick as a week. It can take up to 90 days. I can't yeah. give you a better answer because that's just the way the FAA is. And then because this is next to the military base, the FAA has to approve it. But then they also got to let like, you know, the military base and their air center there know. And I got to call. Totally. I've done it before. Like I've had to call and say, hey, I'm going to fly. I've got calls from the U.S. Navy. <laughs> it pops up on your phone, U.S. <laughs> Navy. Like, hey, we see we're going to fly at this date. Just uh, make sure here's a number. you got to call and let us know when you're going to put it up in the air. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's People so don't funny. Know. And you know what? I mean, just kind of on this topic of like the FAA, it just seems like so archaic to me because like, for example, here in Philadelphia, we've got Biden flying in like almost on a week base, weekly basis. Yeah. Like on the weekends, he comes home. Uh, he flies into PHL in order to drive down to his home in Delaware. And I'm dealing with presidential TFRs, VIP TFRs, that stretch from Philadelphia International Airport to like Westchester and beyond, which is like 25 miles away from Philadelphia. And it's like, so you're telling me that because Biden is flying into Philadelphia 25 miles away, I can't fly my drone 50 feet in the air to take photos of a home. Like it's just, it boggles my oh, mind yeah. that, it happened here. that that is something that we need to deal with. He flew into San Diego. I'm a good 30 minute drive to downtown San Diego, right? All of Southern California from San Diego to like past Orange County when he was in San Diego was all TFR. The whole, like yeah. all Southern California. Yeah, they they need to do something about that because uh, they, they're really, they're lumping drones in with manned aircraft when they couldn't be anything further from different. Uh, they, they, they need, they need to uh, get a better grip on it and show sh their showing of how they're handling remote ID is showing that they don't have a good grip on it. And I don't know when they ever will have a good grip on it. Yeah. Well, that's enough of that because we're just going to get frustrated. And we've already <laughs> recorded longer than our initial first two attempts. So to, to, to wrap things up, Billy, um, predictions. 2023 is here. We're recording in 2023. We've seen mm -hmm. mind-blowing jumps in the drone industry from you know commercial to prosumer to just the average Joe being able to go get a Mini 3 that does amazing things. What more could we possibly ask for? What do you think we might see in 2023? Yeah. I'll go first. Go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, we mentioned it last time. It's just, uh, I would love to see, because the Mini 3 Pro has different battery options that fit into the drone that give it long, longer flight time. I would love to see different battery options for the Mavic 3 to make it f fly mm -hmm. even longer. Yeah, I, I would love that too, right? I mean, kind of even with that, like introduce more modularity, right? Like different cameras, different batteries, different propellers, different this, different that, right? I mean, they could make a lot of money from a business standpoint selling all these different modules, but also it could give the pilot a better understanding of like what they need to kind of build the drone the way that they want. So there's a couple of different areas that I would personally like to see improvements. Um, and I'm almost looking at previous drones and thinking like these are where the improvements have been made and or maybe where there's been kind of stagnation and they need to improve upon. So number one is speed. I want to see like faster drones. Like I want I want a Mavic 4 to be able to fly 70 miles an hour so that I can keep up with a car, right? That's driving fast so that I could keep up with a jet ski or a boat because right now we've had drones that can fly like in the mid 40s for years. So I'd love to see a faster speed. And I think that the new gimbal design that the Mini 3 has will enable that because now the drone can really get after it and can really pitch forwards, but we can still get, you know, a good range of motion out of the gimbal. So I'm hoping to see a faster drone. Um, 
On the camera side, I think we're going to always see these incremental spec bumps, right? Like higher frame rates, bigger sensors, better low light capabilities. But something I'd love to see is more flexibility in terms of focal length, right? So like the Mavic 3 is cool because it has that 7x zoom, but that's too much. Like for me, I never use that zoom. So I'd love to be able to see something like um, on one drone camera, like a 1x, a 2x, and a 3x. Like give me the ability to punch in Just optically. Like your phone, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Mavic 2 zoom was great because it gave you between 1 and 2x to zoom optically. That was cool, right? Now give us more of that. Um, and I think also flight time. I mean, flight time is going to be the one thing that continues to get better. Personally, I'm super happy with the flight time right now. I don't think I could ask for any more, but what I would love to be able to do is take those longer hyperlapses, right? So having more battery life is something that people will never complain about. But again, I think that right now we're good at where we're at, so maybe we won't see any massive improvements um, in that department until we actually see some improvements to like the actual technology, yeah. right? Like graphene batteries or something different. And I think uh, more onboard storage would be fantastic because unless uh -oh. you have the Ma yeah. Mavic 3 Cine and you have that terabyte, right? You're getting what? Eight, eight, gigs? eight gigs. That's it. Uh, it's it's almost insulting that they continue to only put eight gigs in there because I actually had to use it today and I only had seven minutes with a video. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. I got to keep myself under seven minutes for a job. It's like, it's tough. But don't go the route of Apple and being like, you have 64, 128 and all like, just give me yeah. one option, but just, can we bump it up to like 64 or 128? Just, yes. 128 would be great. Or even, look, I, look, I'm not going to be greedy. I'll ask for 32. Give me 32. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Billy, um, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks <laughs> for technically, technically you've been on the show four times, but, uh, you guys are only seeing Billy <laughs> twice, once in March and one, once now. So, hey, man, I appreciate um, your time and have fun at, at CES. Let me know if you see anything worth knowing about. Yeah, of course. Well, hey, thank you again for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and enjoyed the conversation I had with Billy. Billy has so much knowledge to offer when it comes to drones, and I enjoyed talking to him about all the advancements we've seen in the drone industry and coming laws that we all have to be aware of when it comes to flying our drones. It's going to be interesting. If you enjoyed this episode, again, make sure you give it a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening in Spotify, Apple, give this podcast a five-star rating. I really do appreciate it, especially in Apple. You can leave a little short review. It means a lot to me. And again, if you want to try out Ecamm, it's the best application when it comes to podcasting, live streaming. I highly recommend it. Link in the description if you want to try it out. There's a promo code that saves you 15%. So go give it a try. And as always, I'll talk to you guys next week.